there are two brothers who had a dream. And so they decided that they would act upon it. And so in their mother's laundry room, Adolf and Rudolph, they're German, all right? Adolf and Rudolph started a company where they made shoes. Never in their wildest dreams would they imagine just 10 years later their shoes that were, being, that were originally made in their mother's laundry room would be worn by Olympians, and not just any Olympians, but by gold medal winning Olympians. Ten years later, the outbreak of war would start. And all across Germany, war had broken out in the Second World War. The Allied forces had come and they were bombing the town in which they were in once again. Adolf and his wife ran into a bomb shelter where Rudolf and his family were already huddled up. Adolf, when he arrived in an angry and condescending way, said, They're back again, referring to the planes and the Allied forces. Rudolf and his family interpreted that Adolf's comments were directed at them. They never spoke again. They ultimately split up their company. Adolf, naming his portion of the company Adidas. And Rudolf, naming his portion of the company Puma. The second and third largest activewear apparel companies in the world were at once the same company. Only Nike is bigger worldwide than Adidas and Puma. And they were founded by two brothers whose company and whose relationship fell apart over a misunderstanding that would not just rip them apart and rip their company apart, but they built competing factories in the same town. And there was a deep divide whether you were aligned with Adidas or whether you were aligned with Puma all stemming back to a misunderstanding. I can promise you something. As you go through life, there will be people who do not like you. I can promise you that. There are people that do not like me. There are people that do not like you. As you go through life, that is going to happen. Sometimes you're hated because you're misunderstood. Sometimes you're hated because others are jealous of you. Sometimes you're hated because you're a jerk, okay? But sometimes, sometimes it's not your fault. Whatever the case may be, it says more about the people that hate you than it does you. It says more about who they are as individuals than it does about you. And I'm going to give you the solution today to being hated. I'm going to give you the solution to those that hate you. And oh, by the way, this solution doesn't mean that nobody's ever going to hate you again because that's going to happen. But here's the solution to this problem of you being hated. Here's the solution that you can control because you can't control what anybody else does. You can't control what anybody else says. You can control how you respond. And here's the solution to this problem of hate. It's love. 
That's the solution. This morning, we're going to continue our look at a book that was written by one of Jesus' best friends. His closest confidants, a guy by the name of John. And this morning, as we see that love is the solution to hate, he takes us back. He gives us a little bit of a history lesson. Back to the very first sibling rivalry that ever took place. That's where we start today. You can follow along on your phones or your tablets and your Bible app. If, if you don't have those, it's available on the screens there as we look at 1 John 3, starting in verse 11 this morning, where we find this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So John just says, here's the basic message. Love one another. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. He's trying to get this point home like a parent does with their child. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Why? Because you have to understand the basics. And as followers of Jesus, this is foundational to everything. We have to love because God is love. So we must be people who love. And he says, you've heard it from the beginning. You have to love one another. What we have to understand is by, by, the, very, by the very fact that he has to stress this over and over and over again means it's not always easy. It's not always natural. It's not always the thing that we want to do because sometimes it's fun to be mad at people. And sometimes it's fun to carry a grudge. And you're like, no, it's not. But really it is. <laughs> You ever break up in middle school? It's really fun to carry a grudge. And then you're like, oh, well, none of my friends can talk to him or any of his friends, or none of my friends can talk to her or any of her friends. And then you start like this, this classroom war all because you decided that you didn't return somebody's text fast enough. And like the whole school's ready to fight at a moment's notice. And if you don't believe me, just watch Riverdale. I mean, it's amazing what they can accomplish. It's also amazing how like 25-year-olds are supposed to be sophomores in high school, but whatever. But this is, goes back to the very start. He says, this is the basic message that you have heard. Love one another. And then he brings up Cain and Abel, the very first brothers. Abel, who did everything right. God had put in place a, a system where you were called to sacrifice. And Abel went out and he brought forth to God his very best. He was following the rules. He was doing what he was supposed to. Cain, not so much. He didn't want to part with his very best. He didn't want to give up that. So, so he brought his leftovers. And God wasn't pleased with that, but he was pleased with, with Abel's sacrifice. And out of jealousy, Cain then kills his brother. See, sometimes we're hated because we did the right thing. And so Cain murders his brother Abel. Because rather than fix himself, he lashed out. 
And some of you are hated right now because you're in situations where rather than somebody fix themselves, it's easier for them rather than look in the mirror and do the hard work of fixing what's broken within themselves, it's a lot easier to lash out. It's a lot easier to point your finger than it is to realize all the fingers that are pointing back at you. And this is a tale as old as time. It goes back to the very first family dynamic. And so some of you are hated at work because you work hard. Some of you are hated by your coworkers because you refuse to cut corners and you refuse to be dishonest and you say, I'm going to do things the right way. And it makes all of your other coworkers look bad, honestly, because they're trying to cut corners and they aren't committed to doing things the right way. And the question is, what's your response going to be? Are you going to keep it up? Are you going to succumb? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to lash out? You've got to answer that question. What are you going to do? Some of you right now are in families that where you just, you can't, you don't feel like you can survive another day. And you have this tension right now with your spouse because you are committed to doing things the right way. You are committed to doing things honestly and being a person of integrity. And honestly, your spouse isn't. And you find yourself trapped, and there's so much tension in the relationship because you are determined to do things the right way, and they're not. Or maybe it's a situation that you have with, with your parents or with your siblings, whatever the case may be, where you are committed to doing things the right way, and they're not. And you feel trapped, and you feel helpless, and you feel hopeless right now, and you're wondering, why is this happening to me? And the answer that isn't going to make you feel any better, but here's the answer. It's because you're doing the right thing. Every time you do the right thing, there will be people who hate you for it. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And listen, some, some people are paralyzed right now because they are so desperate for everyone to love them. They cannot move because they are so desperate for everyone to love them and accept them. And I'm just going to tell you, it's never going to happen. And yet you've got all of your self-worth tied up in this idea that what everybody else thinks about me is so important. It's why we make bad decisions a lot of times when we're going through puberty, when we're teenagers, because peer pressure is becoming so such a big deal as our brains are developing. No longer is the affirmation just of our parents enough, but now we want affirmation more so of our parents than from our peers. And in order to get that affirmation a lot of times from our peers, we're willing to compromise on things that we really, really believe at our core because we're so concerned about what everybody else thinks about me that rather than assess the consequences of all of our choices, we're, we're making choices based solely 
on our feelings at the time. And that's prevalent amongst people as they're developing, but some of us never leave that behind. And some of us carry that into life where we literally cannot move and we're paralyzed because we're constantly worried about what everybody else is going to think about me or say about me. And we've wrapped up all of our self-worth in other people. And it's craziness. And the reason it's craziness is because we can't control what other people think. And oh, by the way, if we follow Jesus, other people aren't going to understand us. And so we have to understand that this is a problem at our core. And we really have to ask the question of where do I find my fulfillment? Because if it's in everybody else, we're never going to be enough and we're never going to measure up and we're never going to be understood. And we will walk through life paralyzed, never reaching our full potential of what God has designed us to be. And so as people who follow Jesus, we have to understand that is our significance. That is who we are. And it doesn't matter if everybody else hates me. They hated Jesus. All that matters is what God thinks of me. That is whom I'll give an account to. Nobody else. And so as followers of Jesus, I am begging you, follow Jesus. You will not be understood. There will be people who hate you. Don't be a jerk. Don't give them a reason to hate you. But follow Jesus and let him figure out the rest. Because of our transformation of what Jesus has done for us, we have hope. But we also have to have love. And if we don't have love, then very simply this, we don't have Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Murder is a giant leap from hate. Right? Like, murder is a big leap from, from hating somebody. Like, yeah, I, I hate the guy that cut me off, okay? I'm not going to go murder him. I'm a little salty about it, but 20 minutes from now, I'll cut somebody off and forget about that. So we'll be fine. All right? I'm, I'm not going to... Like, this is a giant leap. And you're like, what? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. What in the world? Well, just think back to what Jesus said. Jesus says, to tell you the truth, anybody, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you the truth, anybody who's angry at his brother has committed murder in his heart. So here's the problem for all of us. We tend to minimize things. Right? We're an hour late for curfew. We get grounded. We're like, oh, I was a couple minutes late for curfew. Don't be so irrelevant. Like, come on. Get into a car accident. As ah, a little fender bender. Just don't look at it. I'll take it to the shop. I've got it. I've got it handled. All right. Just a big deal. We tend to minimize things when we're involved. In order to make ourselves look better, in order to make ourselves feel better. And we're confronted here with the fact that we have to see ourselves as we really are. We can't minimize our shortcomings. We can't minimize our faults. We are required to do the hard work here of looking within and seeing what we're really capable of. And when he says that everybody who hates somebody is a murderer, it 
forces us to confront the reality of our situation, that there is murder in our hearts anytime we harbor the grudge. What does that mean? It means that we're not okay. With the absence of love, it means something is out of balance. And if we're just like, oh, I just don't like that person, just hate that person, we minimize it. But when he takes it to the extreme and he says, you're a murderer, it forces us to look within and really see there's a problem here. There's a problem here. By this we know love. And here's the contrast. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so here's the contrast between the hate that we have in our heart and love. And here's the challenge for all of us who follow Jesus. We should love as Jesus loved. We should love as Jesus loved. That's why here at Lakeside, one of our values is this. We strive to love people in the same way that Jesus loves us. We strive to love people in the same way that Jesus loves us. And that isn't always easy because some people are a lot more lovable than other people. And you know that's true. And if you're like, I can't think of anybody who's unlovable, that's just because it's you, okay? But everybody, I'm sorry, somebody's got to tell you. Somebody's got to tell you. I love you enough to tell you, all right? I still love you, but I just got to tell you. If you're like, everybody's lovable, well, okay. Here's the deal. Our goal is to be the love of Jesus to people. And we are going to do our best to love in the same way that Jesus loves us. Now, just as you're thinking, wow, murder is a big leap away from, from being mad at somebody, here's, here's the next big leap. Laying down your life, that's a big leap away from being generous. It's a big leap away from being generous. Anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, He's talking about Jesus laying down his life for us, and then he brings it right into generosity. Here's the question. Are we faithful with the little? Are we faithful with the little? Before we say, we're, we're going to lay down our lives, as, as it tells us to here in verse 16, that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for the brothers. You want the test of whether or not that's true of you? Are you faithful with the little? You had better be the most generous person ever. If you're not a generous person, he says, then I don't want to hear it that you're loving. Because that's the test of whether or not you're loving, is whether or not you're generous. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That is the question, Lakeside, that we have to confront. Are we faithful when little? 
Are we faithful in the smaller things? Before we can hope to be faithful in the larger things, we have to be faithful in the smaller things. And so next week, we have an opportunity to put our money where our mouth is, literally. Which is exactly what John's saying to do here. We have the opportunity to put our money where our mouth is, literally. As we have the opportunity to help people in hard times. You heard Al earlier today talk about how we were able to step in when people lost their job due to downsizing at their company and we kept a roof over somebody's head as they then transitioned into a new job. We were able to provide the funds for somebody to fly out and say goodbye to their dying sibling. We were able to show them the love of Jesus. That's possible because of you and your generosity. And from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you. But we want to accomplish more. And next week, we have the opportunity of that. So let's not say that we're going to be a church that really loves people if we're not willing to be generous. And I know that some of you are set for life. And some of you right now are going through really hard times. But everybody can put at least a dollar in that plate. And so this is the test of whether or not we're going to be faithful. This is the test of whether or not we're going to live up to our value here at Lakeside of loving people in the same way that Jesus loves us. Don't let it go by. And let's together put our money where our mouth is and make sure that when people are going through the toughest times that this world has to offer, we are there with resources, with prayers, with words of encouragement, and pointing them to Jesus every step of the way. We have, in our history, done a phenomenal job in this. Let's keep it going. Not with words, but in our actions. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so he says here to listen to that voice inside. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your heart. And, and yet, but what happens when our heart condemns us? And, and, and now there's this, this turmoil that so many people experience between what they've heard is true and, and what they feel, and, and where does all of that, where does all of that line up realistically and pragmatically in their lives? This is on display poignantly in the fourth remake of A Star is Born. It's, it's a massive success in terms of the box office and the soundtrack. In the film, Bradley Cooper plays Jackson Maine, an aging rock star battling addiction who falls in love with Ali, played by Lady Gaga, who becomes a rising star in her own right. I mean, this soundtrack's the, the most, list, most streamed album right now. The, the film has just smashed all the expectations for it at the box office. 
check out one of the main songs from A Star is Born. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Nobody knows what ways for the dead Nobody knows what ways for the dead Some folks just believe in the things they've heard and the things they read Nobody knows what ways for the dead I'm glad I can't go back to where I came from I'm glad those days are gone, gone for good But if I could take spirits from my past and bring them here You know I would, you know I would Nobody speaks to God these days Nobody speaks to God these days I'd like to think he's looking down and laughing out of ways Nobody speaks to God these days When I was a child they tried to fool me Said the worldly man was lost and that a hell was real Well, I've seen hell in Reno And this world's one big old Catherine wheel Spinning still Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Oh, maybe it's time to let the old ways die Confusion of God, wanting God on their own terms, the uncertainty, the desperation. Listen to these words. Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Some folks just believe in the things they've heard and the things they've read. Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Glad I can't go back to where I came from. I'm glad those days are gone, gone for good. But if I could take the spirits from my past and bring them here, you know I would. Nobody speaks to God these days. I'd like to think he's looking down and laughing at our ways. Nobody speaks to God these days. When I was a child, they tried to fool me. Said the worldly man was lost and that hell was real. Well, I've seen hell in Reno and this world's one big old Catherine wheel spinning still. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. This song was written for the film by Jason Isbell, who said this of the song. Bradley Cooper wanted that song to be something that was from my heart. And I think it relates to the character and the way that the song discusses how your salvation really comes from within. Somebody else can help you find yourself or can help give you the confidence to become the person that you always should have been, but they can't really save you or redeem you, he said. And yet here's the problem. We fail ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't save ourselves. The message of the gospel is this, that we in and of ourselves are not enough. 
And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, in God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And maybe you're here and you are so confused right now about where you are spiritually. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Maybe you're here and you're just tired because you're fighting and it just never seems like it's going your way. Maybe you're here and you're just following your heart and yet you're so confused because your heart is leading you in so many directions and every time you follow it, it seems to be right at first, but then you're confused and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go. Maybe you want God, but you want God on your own terms. And there are things about God that you really like, but there are things about God that you want to dismiss. And you've tried your best to take the parts of God that you agree with while leaving behind the parts of God that you don't agree with. And you've come to this point where you don't understand why you aren't really fulfilled. And the reason is because you haven't embraced God. God as he is. We can't pick and we can't choose. And we, as we look around our society, there are so many answers and yet so many of them are wrong. But the problem is they feel good at first. And right now, everybody is raising the banner of love. And yet no one wants to define it. Everybody wants it to be allowed to be interpreted by everyone else. This is love. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, to love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God. Whoever follows God, that is somebody who really knows God by their conduct, which we talked about last week, by their love for other people. That is the test of whether or not somebody really knows God. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. See, the message of God is this, that we aren't enough, that we aren't okay, that we have all made mistakes and we have all done things that fly in the face of what God has told us to do. And there is a consequence for those mistakes. There is a consequence for those actions. And there is a tension between us because we have rebelled and between God because he created us and so he gets to make the rules. And there's no way that we can overcome this tension because God doesn't grade on a scale. God's standard is perfection. The problem is none of us meet it. Which means all of us are hopeless. But God in his love for us made a way that those of us who could never meet his standard could meet his standard. And so Jesus came for us. And he paid the price for my sin, for my mistakes, for my shortcomings, and for yours. To be sin for me. 
so that in him I could meet God's standards, so I could have a relationship with God, so I could experience the love of God, so that I could lead a path of peace, so that I don't have to freak out every time something terrible happens in my life because I understand this doesn't define my existence. So that I could have hope. So that I could love. So that when the world around me hates me, and it's my fault, I can own up to it, and I can apologize, and I can know that there's still hope for me. And when it isn't my fault, I don't have to be paralyzed by what everybody else thinks and says and feels about me. Because I'm God's. And that's all that matters. This is hope. This is love. This is what we are called to be. That we are to leave hate behind. We are to love in ways that cost us something and in ways that define us. That is the message of the gospel. That is the transformation that Jesus makes inside of us. And that is people who follow Jesus or who we are to be. God, I pray that you'd help us. Help us do the right thing. Help us not be paralyzed by what everybody thinks and says and feels about us. Help us realize, God, that that's going to happen. And yet, God, I pray that we would look within ourselves right now and we would see what hate we have harbored, what bitterness we've carried, what anger festers there. And I pray, God, that you would just, even in this moment, allow us to give that to you, to forgive us of that, For you to take it and deal with it. And God, I pray that your love would come and it would fill us in those spots. That it would be outpouring in our lives. That we wouldn't just be people who, who just proclaim love the loudest, as everyone else in our society does. But God, we would put action behind our words. That we would be people who model love that we would be people who are the most generous people, that we would be people that people can turn to when they've turned everywhere else. And God, I pray for those who are here today who have never yet experienced the hope of a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. 
And I pray, God, that they would experience love. That in the quietness of this moment, they would admit the fact that they have sinned, that they have fallen short. That they would accept your love for them in sending your son Jesus, who came and who died for them and rose again three days later. And I pray, God, they would make the decision to follow you and that hope would invade their hearts today. Help us love people in the same way you love us.